Our Old Testament lesson comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear." You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers, by thrusting out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. This is the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6 contains the, the Shema, one of the most famous passages in, in, the, in the Old Testament. There, there in verse 4, in, in Hebrew, the word translated here is Shema. Shema Yisrael, Yeva Elohenu, Yeva Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what is the point of God revealing this to Moses and to Israel? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And God commands his people to remember these statutes, these commands that he gives. And he says, teach them diligently to your children. Well, how do you teach them diligently? Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. 
it's just supposed to be part of everyday life in the all the things you do in every aspect of life remember what god has said and what he has called us to do and he he says bind them as a sign on your hand as frontlets for your eyes you write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates uh, these these things are it, it, the point is not so much that ah you need to have a little plaque on your wall but the point is that these things are supposed to be so much a part of everyday life that they are everywhere and as as you're teaching these things to your children Moses assumes that they're going to ask so what's the point of all this why are you teaching us these rules and commands and Moses tells the parents to remind their children of the mighty deeds of the Lord we were slaves in Egypt but with his mighty hand God saved us God has done what he promised and that's why we live the way that he calls us to live now our our psalm of response in psalm 34 is a psalm of david as david is rejoicing because of god's salvation and at the center of the psalm david says come o children listen to me in other words david is doing precisely what moses had called him to do come o children listen to me i will teach you the fear of the lord what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit turn away from evil and do good seek peace and pursue it in other words do the things that god revealed to moses he's laying out the commands of the lord and then at the end of the psalm he reminds the children of the salvation of the lord many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord delivers him out of them all he keeps all his bones not one of them is broken and that last line is applied very explicitly to our lord jesus christ on the cross he keeps all his bones not one of them is broken because our lord jesus christ is the one who accomplishes the great salvation the great redemption that the exodus pointed to that indeed the whole of the scripture pointed to our new testament lesson comes from colossians chapter 3 colossians chapter 3 here now the word of the lord If then you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of god is coming in these you too once walked when you were living in them but now you must put them all away anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator here there is not greek and jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave free but Christ is all and in all put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful 
let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Since you have been raised with Christ, since you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, since your old man is dead and you're no longer who you once were, that should affect everything in life. And in verse 21, Paul turns to parents and particularly to fathers. Now, why does he just say fathers? Is it because mothers never provoke their children? Paul knows the human heart too well to suppose that mothers are perfect. Rather, we should take Paul addressed to fathers to include mothers, partly because the husband is the head of the wife, and so he is to provide leadership in the parenting of children as well. It by no means eliminates the responsibility of mothers, but it is a direct challenge to the tendency of fathers to ignore their family responsibilities. It's Given how often this sort of thing pops up throughout Scripture, I would suggest that this is not just a modern thing that has happened in the last few decades. This is something that has has always been a challenge, and not least of which is because when you think about the way in which many societies have divided labor, it is very often the case that the if you know if, if even in sort of hunter-gatherer cultures, it's very often the case that the children wind up with the mother and the father the husband the, the men are out doing their hunting so this is where in all sorts of societies there can be a tendency for fathers to sort of run off and do their their gathering thing and not actually take the care of for their children that they're called to do the whole of scripture gives commands for fathers to be involved in the training of children and especially in their spiritual training. Because you are to be a model of God the Father in your love and care for your children. So really, the same way that we've applied the whole of chapter 3 to to wives and husbands and, and children, let's take the whole of chapter 3 and apply it to fathers as well. And back in verses 1 through 4, we, we need to start here because... If you don't wrap your mind around verses 1 to 4, you will not understand how to be a good parent. It may seem like this is like, what does this have to do with parenting? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If if you're going to be a good parent, then you must be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. Now, just notice what Paul means by earthly. It's right there in verse 5. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So if, if you're running down the road of sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, or covetousness, which is idolatry you're not going to parent your children well. Setting your mind and heart on things above means turning away from these earthly things. 
Christ, the Son of God, is the one who has entered the heavenly places. And because we have been joined to his life, Christ, who is your life, we too have been seated in the heavenlies with him. We saw last Sunday night from Leviticus that this is actually the whole point of the burnt offering in the Old Testament. The burnt offering ascends in the smoke as a pleasing aroma to God. Through the death of the burnt offering, or the ascension offering, to use the Hebrew name, the worshiper ascends the hill of the Lord. Of course, the difference is that the smoke of the burnt offering only, you might say, symbolically reached to God, whereas Jesus, the Son of God, has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of God, we have been seated with him in the heavenly places. That's who you are in Christ. Your, your old man died. You have died. You have been made alive in Christ. So set your minds on things above. What does that mean? Well, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first Christ. Don't get distracted by your old desires. Put to death those earthly patterns and practices. After all, verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these, you too once walked when you were living in them. That was the way you were. But now you must put them all away. Putting, put away anger. Put away wrath. Put away malice. Put away slander and obscene talk from your mouth. When I was, when I was a child, I had a fiery temper. I was the hothead in my family. And, and by, my, by my early 20s, I thought I had mastered it. Then I got married, and it wasn't too bad. And then I had kids. And I realized that my temper had only been on snooze. What I had taken for self-control was actually just the ability to control my circumstances. But as those of you with kids have learned, once you have kids, you can't control your circumstances. What does it mean to put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk? It's exactly what Paul said in verses 1 through 4. Set your heart and mind on things above. Because when your heart and mind is set on things above, when you recognize that your life is now hidden with Christ in God, then you realize that you're not in charge. Your calling as a father is to be God's servant in showing these children the way of Christ. It's not about getting your way. It never was. As Paul says in verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Notice again, we keep seeing that Paul's got this, this in the inner self, the inner man, who you really are. Your old man is dead. You have been made alive in Christ. But then, of course, there's that, but we don't, you know, it doesn't feel like he's dead. What's that, ta- what's that all about? Well, that's that second circle of the flesh, those drives and desires that they're not dead yet. And that's why you have to put them to death. Because, but that's where you're, you, you, in the inner man, in who you really are, in who you are in Christ, you have died that because Jesus has taken your sin upon himself. He has taken your guilt. He is the one who has ascended to the Father and has brought you with him. 
And since you have, you have now been, have come to the Father, you have now been seated in the heavenlies in Christ, set your minds, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If Christ is all and in all, verse 11, then the order of the universe does not depend on you. For that matter, the order of your home does not depend on you. You are not the one who maintains order in your home. You are the one who serves Christ. Now, yes, your children are supposed to obey you. We saw that last week. That's their calling. And you're called to teach them and show them how to do that. How do you show your kids how to do that? Well, first and foremost, by modeling it yourself. You are a child of God. And so the way that you obey Christ will show them how they should obey you. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, it was so much easier when I thought my job was to tell them what to do. <laughs> no, my job is to show them what to do. I once, I once made a horrible mistake when I was, when I was, when I was quoting the Great Commission. I said, I said the, you know, the Great Commission was, you know, Jesus said to, to baptize them and, 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 and teach them all that I have commanded. No. That would sound like, that, that makes it sound like sort of, oh, the, the, the disciples' job is to go out there and just tell everybody what to do. No, it's teach them to observe all that I have commanded. How do you teach somebody how to observe something, how to do something? It requires both saying it and doing it. So that's where, as parents, we need to exemplify the Christian life as we walk before our children in obedience to Christ. When your children learn about who God is, they will, they will naturally think about the fatherhood of God in terms of what you are like. That, that's where it starts. And that's where it should start. There's, there's, that, there's that time early on in the child's life when they think that, that their parent can do no wrong, and that's just... It, and it's, it's kind of a heady feeling for a parent. Be like, wow. It's, then it also gets to be a very scary moment. And you're like, wait, they think I can do no wrong? This is a problem here. Cause, and that's why it's really important to teach your kids that, that God is a much better father than you are. And that's where... And what do you do when you failed? Well, you, you have to repent. You have to sh- sh- show, I failed. I did not... I did not obey God when I acted like that. And so I repent and I will turn away from that and I will strive not to do that again because I have not imitated my Father in heaven. So when Paul says, parents, don't, don't provoke your children, I mean, there, there are the obvious examples of you know, mocking them, ridiculing them, yelling at them. Those are the, the active provocations. But we're also really good at the passive ones, unfortunately. We provoke our children by ignoring them, neglecting to forgive them when they've sinned, or forgetting that we promised to play that game with them. Part of what it means to be a parent is when, when we have... I think perhaps most of us get pretty good at repenting of the things, of the active sins, you might say. When we've actively sinned against them, we're like, oh yeah, okay, but... It's the passive things that we also need to remember to repent of because that's, it's really easy to ignore the sins of omission. Sins of omission, didn't, they didn't happen after all. Nothing, nothing happened, so how could you call it a sin? Well, it's a sin because it didn't happen and it should have. 
you know, when I tell my kids I'm going to play a game with them and then I just like never get around to it. Well, now I've, I have not acted the way my Heavenly Father has acted with me, toward me. I'm sure all of you are familiar with the, the good advice to be consistent in your discipline, but consistency is not really the point. The point is love, which, as, as Paul says, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If you are in Christ, then you should be reflecting, and notice when Paul describes this in verses 12 to 14, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. What does it mean to be heavenly minded? These things. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If you are in Christ, then you should be reflecting the mercy, kindness, humility, and forgiveness of Christ. Now, if this also means that if you just let your kids sort of sin without consequences, without, with no discipline, then you're also pushing them away from Christ. You should, if they're, if they're rebelling against Christ, you should call them back. And incur- if you don't, then you're encouraging them in their rebellion against God. And that's... And that part of what Paul says is, this is important because lest they become discouraged. What, is, what does it mean that they might become discouraged? Well, think about how God is a good father to us. And there, there, there are six things I'd like to highlight here. I, I, I realized too late that I, I, I didn't get them in the bulletin, so that just means you can write them down yourselves. But there are six things about God's fatherhood that are important for us to imitate. First, he feeds his children. That may, that may seem like the obvious one, but it's important. Be both feeding them with manna in the wilderness, uh, feeding us with our daily bread, feeding us especially with our Lord Jesus Christ, the true bread which came down from heaven. And so you are to feed your children and show them how this reflects God's care for us. But secondly, God clothes his children. When Adam and Eve sinned, All they could come up with was fig leaves. But God clothed them with animal skins, the the first sacrifice, pointing forward to how he clothes us with Christ through his sacrifice on the cross, and we are clothed in him. And in fact, Colossians 3 uses this picture of taking off and putting on clothes. And so you are to clothe your children, and like Deuteronomy said about how how to everyday things, Sort of when they're getting when you're when you're getting the little ones dressed, remind them of how God has clothed us, and the, use this to teach them about the clothing of Christ. Thirdly, God disciplines His children, and you see this in Israel's rebellion in the wilderness. And Proverbs tells us that God disciplines the son He loves. Even our Lord Jesus Christ learned obedience from what He suffered, and even so, your discipline is to teach your children about the cursedness of sin and the blessings of new life in Christ. But then fourthly, God forgives his children. I mean, you think of all through those centuries of Israel's rebellion, God did not treat their sin the way it deserved. He was patient, enduring their rebellion and murmuring and not giving them immediately what they deserved. But especially now, God forgives us in Christ because Christ has taken the curse upon himself. And so you are to forgive your children because you have been forgiven in Christ. 
And you want them to see what that looks like. And fifthly, God gives his children good gifts. Just as he gave Israel the promised land, so also our Lord Jesus says that the Heavenly Father gives good gifts, and especially the Holy Spirit, to those who ask. And so you are to give good gifts to your children, showing them how great the Father's love is for them. What is the inheritance that you will leave to your children? Sometimes we, we get so focused on, ah, must sort of, I must provide for my family, I must give you know, financially. And those are good gifts, yes. My father came from a family where everyone did very well financially, except for him. But he left an inheritance that his children treasure to this day. A treasure that no moth or rust can destroy. What was the treasure that my father gave me? That's the sixth thing. God spends time with his children. As we're seeing in Leviticus, the problem at Mount Sinai was that man cannot come into the presence of a holy God. How can a sinful humanity dwell with God? God provides the way. All the sacrifices, the whole point of the tabernacle and the temple was all about the coming of the Holy Spirit so that God might dwell with us and bring us to himself. And even so, you are to spend time with your children as a living example of Christ's presence with us. My dad was 55 when he realized that he had failed in this. He had been a very absent father for most, for most of my teenage years. And then all of a sudden, my senior year of high school, my, my dad sort of came out of his bubble and came out of his shell and realized, I got one year left. I don't want to mess this up anymore. I've already, this is you know, a beautiful picture of, of what, what does repentance look like when you've screwed up all the way till now and you've failed miserably all the way till now. He could have just said, I'm done, it's over, I can't. No, he didn't. He said, I've, I've messed everything up to this point. That doesn't mean I have to keep messing it up. He repented. And he, I mean, those, those evenings that, that my senior year of high school, it was, it was a really, it was kind of a strange year for me because I wasn't really used to him being this involved. But on the other hand, it was, it was a really important year for me in, in showing me the presence of my father, demonstrating the nearness of our heavenly father. And something that for you children to think about, Your parents are still trying to figure this out. It's not like they've ever been here before. I mean, okay, in one sense you could say, I've got seven kids, so I've done this before, right? No, because each kid is different. And I can't just assume that because, oh, I did that, okay, that didn't work. It's actually, it has to be this kid. And how do I do this with, in this situation? Your parents don't actually know what they're doing nearly as well as you think they do. And you may think they're pretty bad at it. You have no idea how bad they really are. <laughs> but parents, Paul's admonition is, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, I mean, obviously, if you, if you don't feed or, feed or clothe them, that's rather discouraging. And if you don't discipline them or if you discipline them badly, that discourages them. Because the point of discipline is about 
restoration, restoring. It's, it's not primarily about their behavior. I know sometimes you know, what they're doing really gets under your skin, but the parallel with church discipline is important. The point of church discipline is, the goal is to restore the erring brother or sister. And family discipline is exactly the same. It's not just about getting them to behave. It's about showing them the path of life. And that's why it's hard, because <laughs> I'm a sinner too. And sometimes I don't really care about their heart. All I want is for that child to simply get out of my way and to get out so I can get back to what I was doing. Ouch. That's not about... That, that, that's, that's exactly when I provoke my kids. is because it's, it just became about me and what I want. And that's provoking your child to discouragement. Paul's point is that you have been made a new creature in Christ. You have died with Him. You are no longer the old person that you used to be. And Christ now calls you to be who He has remade you to be. So when you discipline your child, the point isn't just behavior. The point is the heart. A friend of mine in the seminary, I, I, I lived with a family, and I got a chance to sort of watch this up front and, uh, back when I was a bachelor. And one day, two of his boys were fighting over a toy. And the father walked in and knelt down beside them. And What's the standard question when two kids are fighting over a toy? Who had it first? No, he didn't do that. He asked, why are you fighting? Because it, he, he recognized that it, one of his sons was really just being selfish, and the other son was too. <laughs> was Luke more interested in his own selfish interests, or was he looking out for the interests of others? Was, was John grabbing it because... Uh, what's going on here? Why, why are you fighting? And over the next couple of minutes, he, he untangled the, the web of, of sin and bitterness between a three-year-old and a two-year-old. You might think that three-year-olds and two-year-olds couldn't grasp the concepts of sin, repentance, and grace. Oh, yeah, they did. Because, you know, John realized, oh, I'm just saying me, 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 me. But Luke wasn't innocent either. He was also saying me, 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 me. And the two clashes of empires erupted in a civil war. And that they both understood very easily that the attitude of me, 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 me was not pleasing to God. And so then he began to show them, here's how you can love one another and here's how you can repent and follow Jesus. And he grounded all of it in, and because Jesus died on the cross for us so that we might no longer continue in this path. Every child can understand what sin is, what grace is. And so your task as parents is to teach them by word and example what the gospel is all about. And when we fail at that, that's when we discourage them. They'll begin to think that Christianity is a bunch of hogwash because they've not seen in you what they know to be right. You see, that's, that's so often the case. It's not, it's not that, it's not that they've, they've abandoned the, the idea of right. It's that they don't see it in you. So what do you do? Well, as Paul says in verse 13, forgive one another as Christ forgave you. When you've sinned against your kids, repent. Acknowledge your sin for what it is. Acknowledge what, how you have harmed them. 
when they have sinned against you. Be ready and eager to forgive and seek reconciliation. It may sound simple, but if you do it from the heart, it will change you. I can't guarantee that it will change them because you can't change their heart. I can't change anybody else's heart. Only the Spirit of God can change hearts. But it will change you. So forgive one another. Also, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of God be central in your family. Read the scriptures together as, as a family. Read it, read it, whether it, some people find it helpful to do it right there at the dinner table or first thing in the morning or before you go to bed. But just do it regularly and, and sing. You don't have to be great singers. Get a couple hymnals or songbooks and sing together, whether you have a, a good voice or not. Just sing, sing snippets and snatches of songs until they become more familiar and they become natural part of your life. But it's not just about it's not just about sort of do, whether you do this once. You know, okay, we got we got our fifteen minutes in, or we got oh our family is really good. We 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 have worship for an hour. That's not. That's, the point is it needs to go throughout the day. And that's where those regular times are really helpful. I, I once thought, oh, yeah, just do it all throughout the day and you don't need the regular time. Eh, without the regular time, it kind of begins to evaporate and doesn't really happen. But the regular time doesn't guarantee that it becomes the pattern throughout the day. That requires practice too. The word of Christ is to be part of everyday life. It must dwell in you. When you're talking about what's going on at work, search the scriptures to find out how God would have you handle the difficulty. When you're excited about some accomplishment, read a psalm of thanksgiving like Psalm 100 and then get out your hymnal and sing, all creatures that on earth do dwell. It can be tone deaf, as long as you're singing with a cheerful voice. I mean, it, doesn't, I mean, it feels weird at first because like, okay, this is, this is kind of strange. But if it's right, do it. And pray. Uh, this was something I've I, I need to be I need to get better at because my my friend David Covington is has, has been a great example to me, and I'm 30 years later I'm still working on it. But um, when he whenever he's talking with about about a difficult situation with you, he'll stop and say, "Well, let's pray about it. <laughs> let's talk to the person who can actually do something about this." And it's not forced; it's just a habit. It's a discipline of prayer, and that's part of where just the, the, just the constant setting your mind on things above, not earthly things, is what is driving the life before God. And, but putting, to death, putting sin to death is not easy. It takes hard work. It takes discipline. But those who are called as the elect of God, holy and beloved, are also called in one body to let the peace of God rule in your hearts. We do not rule ourselves. We are to let the peace of God rule us. Since you have died with Christ and been raised to newness of life in Him, parents, do not provoke your children, but teach them about their Heavenly Father through your words and deeds, shepherding their hearts even as Christ the Good Shepherd leads and, and directs you. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, have mercy on us because we don't 
live the way you've called us to. We have, we've fallen short in so many ways. And yet, we marvel at your great kindness to us because you sent your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came in our flesh and who took upon himself our sin, our guilt, our curse, in order that he might, that he might win the great battle, that he might win the great victory. And so, Father, we, we acknowledge before you that we, we have failed in our callings as parents, as children, as husbands, as wives, in, in our various relations. We have not lived the way we ought. And so we ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would renew us and refresh us by your Spirit, that you would give us good, good gifts, as you have promised, that you would give us your Holy Spirit, your presence with us, that we might, that we might know you more and more and walk before you as your people. We pray that you would help us and, and strengthen us, nourish us, feed us, as, and, and clothe us with your Son, our Lord Jesus, that, that as you discipline us through the trials of these days, as you forgive us and renew us, as you continue to give us good gifts and give us yourself, help us to trust your promises and to walk humbly before you as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.